0: I say provenance a lot to me that feels closer because to me always means terrain and, and it is the soil and it is the, the earth and, and you know we, there are things we have that, that matter a lot. Whiskey, whiskey the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now we lower in the floor. The band is blisting, but we
1: got a little more. When I say one to, Welcome to the Whiskey Topic, the weekly podcast that tends to get off topic. My name is Mark Bylock, I'm the author of The Whiskey Cabinet, and my co-host is Jamie Johnson, who runs a private but approachable bourbon club here in Toronto, Canada. You can also find our podcast on the website whiskey.buzz. Welcome to episode 33. Uh, today's topic is going to be barrel maturation. We are here with Jane Connor from Maker's Mark. Welcome to the show, Jane.
0: Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here.
1: Now, Jane, what is your title exactly?
0: Um, Interesting question, Mark. Uh, we don't have a lot of job titles down at the Maker's Mark Distillery. We, we all wear, you know, a lot of different hats. And I actually um, was our former, you know, brand ambassador slash Maker's Mark diplomat. I've spent five years abroad uh, launching the brand and building Maker's Mark, um, primarily in Europe and some in Asia, and then back home working at the distillery a lot. And recently, I've had the pleasure of overseeing um, a lot of our aging and maturation processes and some new fun things coming down the pipeline at Maker's Mark.
2: Uh, speaking of fun things coming down the pipeline, I am a Maker's Mark ambassador, and I'm very, very excited for my <laughs> my barrel to come to maturation, and I enjoy very much all the fun Christmas presents and things that <laughs> come to me. by and, and you
1: too mark. can be a ambassador, and you too
2: bar- can be an ambassador. You can sign up online, uh, and it's very easy, and you get this very official looking certificate, and it's it's a very cool thing. And then once your name actually goes on a barrel, you get a picture of it, which is very cool. Um, but I'm curious to hear, uh, I got an email saying that you guys have a new sort of barrel select program for anybody to come in and sort of curate their own makers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. That sounds so, awesome.
0: Um, you know, a lot of distilleries have been doing, um, single barrel selections and programs where, uh, you know, brand fans or customers or retailers or bars can come in and and choose a barrel that they bottle. And, you know, sometimes they'll get a special label and, you know, it's not something we've ever done at Maker's Mark. And honestly, it's not something we could do in the traditional sense, because as you guys know, you know, visiting the distillery, we're all about consistency. Everything we do is with a very specific flavor profile in mind. So when we originally looked at it it was kind of a thing where this would be the most boring single barrel program in the history of single barrel programs. Um, and we, we kind of went away and started brainstorming what, what would be fun for people. And Bill Samuels Jr., you know, whose parents founded Makers Mark in the 50s, talked a lot about his, his time making Makers 46. Um, it was about a two-year project at which he, you know, was making this bourbon uh, before he retired. And the whole goal was to kind of create his perfect version of Maker's Mark, highlight the things he really loved about makers. And we kind of took that as the as the springboard and inspiration and said, wouldn't that be amazing for people to get to come be at the distillery, understand what we do and then get to create their perfect version of Maker's Mark. So that's kind of the whole baseline of of this new program we're doing.
1: So this has to do with the uh, the staves and the seasoning of the wood. Is that the direction you're going?
0: It is. It is. So Maker's 46 um, is fully matured Maker's Mark that we dump out of the barrel. We then disassemble the barrel and we put and suspend inside the barrel 10 pieces of French white oak um, that's been seared instead of charred. And then you refill it with Maker's and you put it back in a warehouse for about nine weeks longer in the the cooler months of the year. We only produce 46 about five months of the year. So this program, same idea, same inspiration, but instead of just one stave to choose from, we've identified five different unique oak staves that have different um, seasoning times, different uh, cooking times, different cooking temperatures, different types of cooking, and you get to come and choose and build your own unique finish for your Maker's Mark.
1: Uh, is there going to be um, like a tasting aspect of it, or is it going to be purely experimental?
0: Um, we have done a lot of um, tasting, so you don't have to do all of it yourself. But there definitely will be a tasting. Um, we we've worked, you know, for the last fifteen months or so on identifying. Um, what flavors we wanted to highlight in Maker's Mark, and figuring out ways to amplify those unique flavors through these different staves. Um, so there's five staves. You can choose any combination of ten. There's a thousand and one combinations you can pick from. So you're not going to come and and you know taste a thousand and one combinations, but you're going to come learn about each one, taste through each individual stave, and then you kind of get to play Dr. Frankenstein where you're gonna build these different staves together, figure out what combination you like um, through a tasting, and then you actually physically get to go build your own barrel, put your staves in it, fill it with makers, and then we age it for you.
1: That sounds pretty amazing.
0: It's pretty fun.
1: Um, Can I ask about cost? How much is it gonna cost per barrel?
0: You know, we're still working out a lot of the logistics right now. We've spent so much energy at the distillery on understanding the whiskey, you know, this is, it's interesting. A lot of people have have said this, this seems really different from what you guys typically do because we are all about consistency. So in that sense, you know, this is, each barrel will be completely unique based on the person and what flavors resonate with them. But on the flip side, it's such a hands-on personal approach to bourbon, which fits right into the DNA of makers. So we've spent so much time Focusing on that aspect, we're still figuring out a lot of the other logistics right now.
1: This is really yeah, like the, the new world of like kind of boutique bourbon, it's boutique whiskey. It's just it's you do what you can kind of choose your own flavor profile. Um, that's amazing. That sounds very, very cool. Um, less cool if it costs $100,000. More cool if it costs Thousands of dollars, but uh, <laughs> very, very I cool. Could you,
0: I can tell you, I, I feel safe at say We're not going to charge $100,000 for this barrel. Unless you would pay that mark. I mean, if that's the case, you could be our very first customer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you go. If you want to be a customer, Maker's Mark, be the very first one, $100,000. It's on the table. It's on the table. <laughs>
0: Probably not allowed to say
1: that. But.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we definitely need to take like a whiskey topic trip down to Kentucky and do our, our own specific Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine bringing all that maker's mark back over the border? That would be uh, that would so be a much of taxes.
1: taxes. <laughs> we, we would just give it away at, at every restaurant. But like, here's the maker's mark because yeah. we can't afford, <laughs> can't afford to
0: take it back over the border.
1: <laughs> the bourbon
0: Canadian Smokey and the Bandit.
1: <laughs> um,
2: and so right now it's uh, or you're rolling it out sort of Kentucky wide um, first and then it will sort of extend a little farther uh, in the new year. Or How does that work so far?
0: Yeah, we're looking um, at, at it as a, a kind of a pilot season. Um, so it's it's pretty much staying close to home. Um, you know, the season, like I said, we finished aging into February, and then we can't lay down barrels again until October. So it's a very, very short season for this, this first year. Um, so, yeah, we're staying pretty close to home with it. Yeah, makes sense. Makes
2: sense.
1: And so this process includes uh, the uh, person or people coming to Maker's Mark and doing the tasting there, I assume.
0: Yes, with myself. So you're going to learn a lot about wood, a lot about oak, things you probably never wanted or needed to know. Um, And you're going to taste a lot of whiskey that we've uh, actually laid down a lot of barrels last year when we first started really experimenting with this. Um, So you'll get to taste through a lot of different stuff, Um, you know, I'm there to help. Some people will want to be guided. Some won't. You know, it'll be whatever works for the people that are there. And, yeah, we'll we'll build the barrel on site, fill the barrel on site. They'll go home. And then nine weeks later, we're going to um, gauge it, see what proof it's going to come out at, um, get the char out, bottle it label it, package it and send it on.
2: Will there be any opportunity for somebody like me who maybe can't take anything home or, um, you know, perhaps, uh, I, I don't know the gift shop or anything like that sort of being able to try through a couple of different, um, of the combinations on site. When like, if I come to the distillery next year, would you be like, Oh, here's the, uh, an interesting one we put together with these staves and you have the opportunity to sample it or is that still sort of being worked out?
0: It's still being worked out. You know, we don't right now have tons of this liquid. Cool. Um, and it, because it's something we're we're making as we go with the customer uh, I, I don't know that it's going to be readily available, but I, I don't know, you know, it's, it's a pretty exciting time cause we're, um, we're learning a lot. We're having a lot of fun and it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I think.
1: Well, I love seeing that. I think makers marks, uh, just, you know, the, the innovations there, like the last, you know, that's the three, four years you guys are doing it and doing it. And this is a great, great direction. Um, how many bottles will you get out of one barrel?
0: So we actually refill the entire barrel of, with Maker's Mark. So I, what I love about this product is it still starts as your classic Maker's Mark. We do our normal dump with our you know uh, batch formula that we we've used for 61 years now, and um, we'll dump that. We'll have that in a tank, and we'll refill the whole barrel and we'll lay it back down. So because we're we're letting people have it. As it comes at cask strength, you're gonna get anywhere from probably 240 to 260 bottles.
1: Can you personally dip every single one?
0: Um, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, Nobody know, would want uh, to do that. Not, they'd get bored after ten. They'd be like, "This is a great really
0: idea." <laughs> set up to bottle this um, yet? Uh, you know, we're we we do not have a um, a lot of it's gonna be hand applied labels, and you know, there's a lot of logistics that we're still working through I'm sure we will get that request um, and I don't have an answer yet
1: on that <laughs> so, well, so. can you imagine if you had like a wedding uh, I don't know I actually don't know if you guys do weddings at Makers Mark but we you had a wedding there and then the, like it's a big wedding and two or three hundred people just go in and dip their own bottle from the barrels made from the barrel made by the bride and groom um, and they get to take one home that is that's cool that's money that's Mark
0: great. stop giving
2: people ideas I was gonna say my are you an events planner now what's happening over here <laughs>
1: Wow. I, I think I'm picturing my life if I had, you know, like uh, seven or eight figures. I just fly a helicopter to Maker's Mark. I'm like, all right, let's party and dip <laughs> our own ba- bottles and, yeah, yeah.
2: That's hilarious.
0: <laughs> it is amazing. We still dip every single bottle by hand. You know, sixty years in, it's pretty amazing.
1: That that is really amazing, and um, and still have a very old press for the labels and everything else.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a definitely um. Philosophy of do it yourself. I mean, we're all a bunch of control freaks at makers mark. I think
1: <laughs> that yeah, is I think true. We, I
2: think we
0: learned that when we were
2: there for the <laughs> for the day for a couple of hours. It was it was great to see everyone take such uh, pride in what goes on there, and it's it's very obvious that everyone just stands behind their job and it's great. We love, we had a great time. We really learned so much uh, and learned so much about Makers when we were there. I highly suggest if anyone hasn't gone to Makers Mark yet to do the distillery tour to like hurry up and do it because it's great. It's and, fantastic,
1: and they let us fly a drone over the distillery, so we will have a drone video uh, <laughs> of Maker's Mark. Um, I just wish we had the, uh, the the landscaper that that told us, "Hey guys, you probably shouldn't be flying that drone around here." Oh, no. And we're like, "It's okay, we got permission from." Uh, and I blanked out in the name, and he's like, uh, "All right, never mind, you keep doing what you're doing." <laughs> and I'm like, "We sort of had permission, as in nobody told us no." It was kind of.
0: I think you're in the right company though with that cuz we're definitely at like, beg forgiveness.
1: <laughs> I think you're okay. If there's one thing we learned, uh you you guys are most consistently control for the what you pour into the barrels. This the the moment between fermentation and distillation and and pouring into the barrels, that that's kind of your biggest control point. Um and then that barrel maturation, you you've got you know, there's A lot going on there, depending on climate and everything else. But your your analysis is all done pretty early. Um, That's why we wanted to bring you bring you on here. We want to talk about barrel maturation um, and just kind of go deeper to what happens when whiskey's in barrels. Um, You know, because you always have the saying that like fifty to eighty percent of the flavor comes from the barrels, Um, and it and it really will depend on a lot of different factors. But Jane, why don't, why don't you take us through um, the process of you know whiskey goes in a barrel and what starts happening during that uh, during the maturation process?
0: So first thing you got to think of is is how the barrel's been treated. So obviously with bourbon, you're using um, new charred oak um, barrels. So you know everyone pretty much in the industry uses American white oak um, and the natural flavors that are going to live in that um, American white oak. You're going to have a lot of, you know, the, the lignin, which is vanilla. You're going to have a lot of, um, you know, hemicellulose, which is, is going to give you colors and some of the wood sugars and caramelization. And, and you're going to have all these different natural occurring compounds that live in oak. So the first thing you've got to do, you know, the barrels are, or the trees are going to be harvested um, anywhere from probably 70 to 100 years old. Um, coming out of primarily the Ozark region and they're breaking those trees down um, and you're going to get about two barrels per tree. Luckily American white oak is is naturally regenerated and there's a, you know, the region and the forests are vast. Um, so it's actually good for the forest to be having these trees harvested to make room for new trees. Um, so barrels are going to be charred on the inside and it literally looks like a dragon is breathing fire into these barrels. Have you guys been to a Cooperage before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The we, we, last time we were in Kentucky and um, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, the place that we visited, it was very, very cool. And my favorite part absolutely was the charring of the barrels. Cause they, it looks like two giant jet engines and just blast the inside of the barrel with fire and then they roll, roll through, but it's still, it's still burning and smoking. It, it was great. It was such a fun experience.
0: Yeah. It's really amazing. You know, um, the process and, and what it does. And that burning is it chars the wood. So what happens when it chars the wood is all the natural wood sugars come to the surface. It caramelizes the wood. Just like when you think of, I always think of creme brulee when you, you set that torch to the sugar and it caramelizes and you get all that yummy flavor, you know, that's, it's the same idea, right? So you're, you're burning the wood, all the sugars coming to the surface and then you're putting you know usually people are putting in their white dog which is their new whiskey at 125 proof we actually go in at 110 proof at maker's mark but you're putting that clear whiskey into the wood and what's happening is the the whiskey naturally is going to start infiltrating the barrel now you guys were you visited when September what was the temperature like when you were in Kentucky um it was it was like uh, seven, Oh, it was, actually, it was pretty warm when we were there, so maybe like 20 degrees, 20, yeah. yeah. So like yeah.
1: Fahrenheit 70-ish degrees. Yeah, yeah.
0: So that's actually pretty cool for September. That's a nice September temperature. You know, what happens when you get into the heat of of summer and you get into the top floors of these warehouses is that heat is expanding the wood and it's expanding the whiskey. And the whiskey starts infiltrating the wood. And it starts naturally pulling out the color and the flavor. With bourbon, all the color is 100% natural. You can't add color. You can't add any other flavor to be a straight bourbon. So all of that is naturally coming from the wood. And, And we always talk about it like the seasons. Kentucky has four very distinct seasons. The summers are very hot and the winters are very cold. And the barrels are literally breathing through these seasons and as they breathe they go in and out of the whiskey and the whiskey's naturally mixing with the wood and the air and you're getting water leaving the barrel you're getting alcohol leaving the barrel at different parts of the warehouse so there's all these natural occurring compounds in the wood that that are that are infiltrating the whiskey and the two spend those years together just forming a cohesion basically between one another if that makes sense
1: no totally um, the, the um is the when you say that the uh sh- the, the, the van- vanilla and all that comes to the surface um is that because of the like the crackling of the the wood from the fire is there like another chemical process that happens there Uh like what what's kind of what's the process there
0: well think about um think about wood think about a twig on a tree and when the wood starts to break or the twig starts to break what happens the sap comes out to like heal the wood right
1: mm-hmm, sure yeah.
0: So, when you're actually burning this barrel, all those sugars are naturally getting pulled to the surface. So, it almost caramelizes the wood. How deep your char, how deep your burn is going to be how deep into the barrel the fire is going to basically go to the sugar line or the wood sugar line. And all that natural flavor starts coming to the surface. Now, what you do to the barrel even before it gets charred makes a big difference as well. Seasoning is a big, big part of flavor that's going to occur in that oak. So how long? By seasoning, I mean you're literally setting the wood outside to let it rot. You're letting the elements get to it. Um, Maker's Mark came out in the 1950s, and we were really lucky at the timing. Um, You know, Mr. Samuels, in the 1950s, when he designed this bourbon, he wanted a bourbon that was soft, full-flavored, and didn't have bitterness. So he didn't want any of those really aggressive wood tannins that you're going to get sometimes in oak. So, you know, in the 1950s, uh, in American history, you know, we were going into the Korean War.
1: And it's interesting because
0: no one ever really talks about the Korean War much. But a lot of people believed it was going to be another World War II or World War I where bourbon distilleries were going to shut down um, because men were going to go off to fight and the government was going to make us provide, you know, industrial alcohol instead of recreational. So what happened was the Cooperages actually started harvesting trees to start building barrels so we could back stock whiskey. But it didn't happen in the 1950s. So Independent Stave Company starts cutting down all these trees and no one's ordering any barrels. So the wood literally sits outside. And they always tell us that was when they learned the most about seasoning was during that time. And it was just by accident. And what happens is as the wood starts to deteriorate, um, you start bleaching out some of the tannins. A lot of the lignin starts to break down. So you're getting more vanilla naturally occurring in the wood. Um, Same thing with people who cook with wood or smoke. If you ever smoke barbecue, you can't have super green wood because that flavor is going to get into the meat. It's the same idea.
1: That is very, very cool. And this is what I love about whiskey. Like, there's so much that goes into it. Um, it it's a product that's produced in such high quantities, but there's all these steps to it that, that move those flavors through. And it starts, like you said, it starts by chopping the tree down and then seasoning the wood. I mean... It, happens you know talk about a six-year-old whiskey um that that process of making that whiskey started seven or more years before that even and and i guess 100 years if you count the tree itself
0: absolutely yeah i mean our our wood at makers we season it um at least nine months through one full summer up to 12 months um so it's yeah that wood is sitting outside for a year before it ever even gets made into a barrel Um, and because of that seasoning it's interesting Seasoning is going to affect how long you have to cook the wood as well because it literally letting the elements get to the wood, it breaks it down. Um, Brad Boswell at Independent Stave told me once that if you put two stacks of wood beside each other and you burnt one for 80 minutes and you left the other for 80 years, they would look the same. It would be a lot of carbon, a lot of ashes, and they would look the same because burning just speeds up that natural deterioration deterioration so because of that extra seasoning we do at makers we don't char our barrels nearly as long as the industry standard we only do about a 40 second chart
1: right and what's the industry standard typically um
0: you're going to probably find closer to 55 60 seconds
1: that that would be like a char four yes yeah
0: we okay. do like a quarter till three
1: okay yeah look
0: at you with the number knowledge mark
1: i know one to four <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I was just going to ask about um, a
2: barrel rotation, actually, because this is something that's unique to makers, mark, and we were talking about it a little bit on the podcast we did when we came back from Kentucky. Um, but just sort of what the uh, the thought process behind continuing with the the rotating of the barrels because this was sort of a practice that went out of favor with most distilleries, but you guys are continuing sort of uh, the tradition of it, so what why?
0: We, we are, um, consistency is the short answer. Um, we still use the, the natural traditional house method where it's three barrels stacked on one level. Um, most of our warehouses are six to seven stories high. And so, you know, as you climb from floor to floor during the summer months, you're getting 15, you know, 15 degree temperature swings from one floor to the next sometimes. And it's really, there's all these different kind of subclimates inside the warehouse. So by starting our barrels on the top floors, you're getting extreme heat in the summer and the wood is swelling and we're pulling, we're extracting a lot of that flavor. So we actually leave our barrels in the top floors for three years and then we physically move them to the bottom floors for the rest of, of their maturation. Um, it basically creates a consistent aging for each barrel we make. Because we make one product, um, you know, we don't necessarily have the luxury of being able to, to, to cross section where you, you take barrels from different floors and marry them together. We need, we need everything to age the exact same way because we make one product and that's it. Um, what I love about maturation in the bourbon industry is every distillery is so unique everyone has a different philosophy and a different take and there's, there's no right or wrong way. It's just what works for your products. And for us at makers Mark, um, unfortunately for our warehouse guys, I guess, um, that really intensive labor of, of moving these 500 pound barrels, you know, from one floor to the other, it's what we need to do for our product.
1: Yeah, that's, it's, it's amazing. It's uh, so amazing that, um, you know there's almost like people almost talk when you when you go to Kentucky or elsewhere they almost talk about it in doubt like well they say they do this but i mean that is nuts why would they, you know like why would they continue doing that but the reality is you you make that one like you said you make that one product and that is that's the way it's made if you change that you're not going to have that same flavor pro- component um i was kind of i was kind of hoping your new warehouses had some sort of fancy barrel rotation mechanism, but I guess that wouldn't exist. It's, it's, it's human labor is what you're looking (laughs) at doing.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, the barrels are, um, 150 pounds empty, about 500 pounds full. It's, it's, uh, it'd have to be a really, really reliable machine to put those barrels are pretty precious to us.
1: Well, let's, let's talk a little deeper about, uh, barrel maturation. Um, so we, we talked about, uh, vanillin and other components, a lot of sugars. Kind of caramelized from the caramelized from the uh, from the charring uh, what else goes on in the barrel
0: um so we've talked about the color we've talked about you know the, the flavor components um, you're gonna lose this is one of the things I, I find fascinating with the the the, the makeup of, of whiskey you know you've got a lot of water and you've got a lot of alcohol and proof will actually change. In the barrel, our, our alcohol percentage will, will fluctuate depending on where you age in the warehouse, depending on darkness versus sunlight, depending on humidity levels. Um, so it's really interesting. You know, the maximum proof you're allowed to put whiskey in the barrel to be bourbon is 125 proof. But you find these bourbons coming out at 140, 140 proof, and the alcohol can actually get stronger in the barrel. Depending on where it ages, which is pretty magical, I think.
1: Yeah, uh, and and it also changes from region to region. So uh, the exact opposite opposite happens in Scotland, where in Scotland you'll have the alcohol content, you know, drastically reduced year after year uh, because they get a lot more, uh, a lot less water evaporation and more alcohol alcohol evaporates quicker because you know it's Scotland. It's a very rainy sort of. There's a lot of moisture in the air. Um and so the water tends to evaporate slower because of uh, the moisture in the air and instead you get a lot of alcohol evaporation. Whereas in Kentucky it's completely different. Um, it's it's what we call this whiskey terroir, Jane. What would we call this?
0: Oh, Mark, I knew you were gonna bring that up. <laughs> I wouldn't call it terroir. we Mark's and Mark's been charged with finding whiskey's version of terroir.
1: <laughs> I have, it, it was a drunken, uh, discussion at a party, but yes. Um, <laughs> uh, but that, we had a, that's a great, uh, discussion about the elements and, um, how in mm-hmm. wine, uh, terroir generally deals with climate and soil and, you know, all the, all these components that make wine, you know, make, uh, a Merlot grown in Niagara region, different from California, different from France. Um, uh, even if you use the exact same grape, um, not that it would do that, but that, that kind of thing. And then whiskey, it's not the same thing because you're not really talking about the soil as much. Um, but you're talking about a lot of other factors.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I say provenance a lot. I, I, to me that feels closer. Um, cause terroir to me always means terrain and, and it is the soil and it is the, the earth. And, and you know where there are things we have that, that matter a lot. Um, you know, one of the things we we still hold so dear in bourbon is our proprietary yeast strains. It's such a big part of what we do. You know, the lake, the lake water that we use at Maker's Mark that has such a great pH level and acidity balance for when you cook those grains, it is the perfect water to cook those grains at Maker's Mark for our mash. You know, um, so I do think there are elements of it, but I I don't know if terroir is the right word. I I think we got to find a new word. But I I have this argument with people a lot. Mark, you're you're in good company with people that disagree with me on this. Um,
1: But and and to be fair, we don't we don't at all disagree. Um, I'm just like terroir means something completely different in whiskey. It's not the same thing as it does in. in in wine and your statement is like then why is that word you're like I, I, we get it we agree that means completely different <laughs> things so why are we still using the word terroir which jane is is a perfect argument and i absolutely love that that's a great <laughs> it's, argument
0: it's yeah it's good stuff
1: with the aging process um is the you know you, you guys if you do the tour you say you know uh, maker's mark takes like four to seven years to age uh sorry five to seven years Um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, but in that range is a lot of that duration dependent on the weather of like the last five or seven years.
0: It is, it is. Um, I, I always talk about at makers. We, we never say age. We always talk about maturation. And when you guys were there, I, we talked a lot about the difference and it's, you know, it's the same as you think about with people. Um, you know, when you, your kids in sixth grade or seventh grade and the teacher always says, Oh, boys don't mature as fast as girls. You know, girls are more mature than boys or or you know, people are at different life cycles. And whiskey's the same. It's a natural living, breathing thing. So age is definitely a part of it, but its life cycle and its maturation rate um is more important to us. You know, we still bottle everything on taste. Everything is is tasted with a tasting panel. And honestly we love Mark when it gets there, you know, younger rather than taking those full seven years to get there. Yeah. Um, so there's there's about a fifteen month age range of of when it becomes maker's mark. But yeah, it's it's more about how it ages rather than how old it is.
1: Yeah, and a fifty months it's a it's a big um big plus or minus in a product that isn't aged as long. it's an interesting commentary. This is more of a Scotch commentary than a whiskey commentary about no age statement whiskey and um, you know, that, that number 12 on the bottle and how that, you know, number 10 or 12 years of age means, okay, you're drinking basic whiskey. This is like basic scotch, uh, 12 years. Um, and you know, in Kentucky, it is, the, 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 feeling is different it's definitely, um, it's where, when it's ready, that's when it's ready. But I also think that batches are probably, you know, sizes are different, right? Like Glenlivet's making a lot of Glenlivet 12, uh, whereas, uh, Maker's Mark, um, your your goal is to release as much product as possible, and you have been increasing uh, in that in that, but while maintaining that quality, and you you uh, have been increasing capacity drastically. So, what are the numbers? You've tripled capacity in the last ten years, or something so, along those lines.
0: In, so, um, it's interesting. We we expanded for the first time um, our distillery in two thousand and two, and we we literally we call it cloning at Maker's Mark. So instead of changing the size of our process or instead of changing the process, we just duplicate everything. So instead of having, you know, one cooker and 20 fermenters, we had two cookers with 40 fermenters and we've just cloned our distillery again this year. Um, so we're increasing capacity by 50%. And and it's pretty amazing to think about, um, you know, that one cooker equals one fermenter equals one distillation, which yields about 20 barrels. You know, 61 years in, um, million and a half cases, and we're still making it 20 barrels at a time, which is something we're all really proud of at Maker's Mark.
1: And, and you, you do have the most, I, I would say, the most inefficient fermentation psych system ever. Is that is that an accurate statement? I mean, you you have a lot of fermenters versus distillers, like the ratio is different, right?
0: Yes. So we have 62 10,000 gallon fermenters on site.
1: And normally a, like a Jim Beam would have like a quarter of that.
0: I'm not sure on, on numbers. Um, the traditional fermenter size, I want to say was closer to 40, 44,000 gallons, but I mean, you'll find fermenters that are a hundred thousand plus gallons of liquid. Um, 10,000 gallons just happens to be the size we have at makers that, you know, it ensures, I always kind of use the, the comparison of, um, if, if I'm, I'm not a very good cook, but if I were making dinner for 10 people versus a hundred people, it's a lot easier for me to, for me to control the quality of that dinner for 10 people than it is a hundred people. And I think that's kind of our philosophy on, on that fermentation size. Is if you keep it small, you can really control the quality of what you're doing.
2: And would that apply as well to in terms of uh, the grains? Because I know you guys are using like a roller sort of system rather than like smashing the grains. So it's is, and I also I think I remember I recall you saying that's also terribly inefficient.
0: Um, it's it's not as efficient as a hammer mill. You know, the hammer hmm. mill was first adopted in the bourbon industry um, because of rye. Rye is, is such a tough little grain mm. that you really needed something that could break into those starches. So the hammer mill or some people use a cage mill, but I think the hammer mill is more common um, to really break into that, to that rye and, and to, to produce a flour pretty much. And it's really efficient. It works really well. And the Bill Samuels opted against it. He opted to use a roller mill Um, You see roller mills more in Scotland, or that's the only place I've ever seen another roller mill um, in our industry, in the whiskey industry. Um, And it it rolls and and it makes more of a grist instead of a flour. It's coarser. So it's not as efficient. You don't yield as much from the grains. But what it does is it keeps the grains intact so that when you go to cook those grains, you're not going to get as much corn oil and oil into the mash. Um, and and we focus a lot of our flavor on trying to pull flavor from the wheat and the malted barley is the idea of that. Um, I mean, I think one of the things yeah. that's been really fascinating um, on this project we've been doing with this, you know, this Maker's Mark Private Select, which is our barrel program, is... Um, what I found the most fascinating is we've, we've looked at different types of cooking. You know, I think people are really familiar with charring and they're really familiar with toasting. That's more, you find that in wine more than, than whiskey. Um, But, you know, we've been looking at, at convection ovens and infrared, you know, heat and open fires and all these different um, cooking processes. And it's amazing how you can literally take, the same piece of wood, and it's the same with, with cooking in your kitchen or at home. You know, you take the same piece of wood or in, in, in these ovens and by altering the temperature or altering the time or or doing convection versus infrared, you pull out all this different flavor and it's just been really fascinating on how you can get natural flavor out of oak
1: you're still sticking to very traditional roots of making the whiskey, but now you're looking at kind of these like slight little recipe adjustments, um, which are a big deal, but like these recipe adjustments on how that whiskey's made, made um, to provide, to pull out different flavors. I think that's, that's really great. And it also stays within your, uh, your methodology of like you're making whiskey five to seven years, you're rotating barrels. Um, you have a process and it's very much timed and, uh, everything's done the same way, it, which is different than from any other distillery, where every other distillery is like, oh, this stuff up here by the roof, that's really hot. Well, that's going to be a very oaky bourbon, and we're happy with that. And you guys are like, no, you want the consistent product all the way through.
0: People like different stuff, so its it's been a really fun few years in the industry. I mean, it's a its a great industry to be in, and, and it's been so much fun seeing what's happened with bourbon and people just kind of falling in love with bourbon the last few years and and where all these new distilleries are, are pushing the industry and taking the industry. It's an exciting time to be in the bourbon industry for sure.
2: And in t- so in terms of like proof, I was sipping uh, on some makers uh, 46 cast
0: drink that I picked up uh, that day. We were there. What, how's that been going? I'm, I mean, we, we have a little bit that we sell at the distillery, but I mean, I I personally think it's absolutely delicious. Um it sure doesn't drink like 109 proof or whatever it is. People are, are really liking it, I think.
1: No, it really doesn't. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't taste like a high-proof whiskey at all. It tastes like Maker's Mark amped up. It really is the best way to put it.
0: What I love about 46, um, because we use French white oak instead of American with that finishing process, um, you get a lot of those wonderful baking spices That naturally exists in makers, but they're amplified. So you're getting a lot of that cinnamon and allspice and nutmeg. And then you get this really intense kind of deeper, richer vanilla from French oak, I think, than you do American oak. It's really interesting. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Jamie's mic was very noisy that last question <laughs> I'm
2: really sorry it's, it's like construction city in here you guys it's like they may as well just be in my apartment and I can hear them outside the door and I'm like are they going to come in like <laughs> guys my goodness anyways sorry about that again um, yeah so uh are you gonna continue making the forty six cast strength? Are you gonna keep it sticking around or was that sort of uh one of those experimental things and you're gonna see how it goes first before you commit
0: um i hope we'll I hope we'll keep um making it just for selfish reasons. I like drinking it, so i I'm not really <laughs> sure you know what the plans are with with that
2: big bottles of it huge yes. bottles of it we should make the yes. big bottles, yeah,
0: exactly. Gallons for Jamie, absolutely.
1: (laughs) How is winter there in Kentucky?
0: It can be brutal. I mean, probably not what you guys experience, but we get a lot of, we're in this weird belt um, in America that gets a lot of ice storms. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
0: But like the last two years, um, you know, January's been, you know, below zero for a few days in a row and... And stop talking Fahrenheit, not Celsius. I don't right. good metric. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, you know, we this past March it was actually good for 46. Um, we typically finish making 46 uh, end of February, beginning of March, and we had two feet of snow at the distillery this this past March. So we continued making the product a little a little bit longer this last season. But um yeah, it's you just never know.
1: Yeah. That yeah. It's uh it's Toronto gets pretty cold. You don't yeah. want to come here in the winter time, Don't come
2: here in the wintertime. We'll we'll definitely go down there. Well, and last time I came up through Kentucky and Tennessee on my way back from Florida and I was supposed to stop off at Jim Beam and do a couple other things. We got we got totally like we got stuck in exactly what you're talking about, like ice, like pure ice storm and it took us what should have been like a four hour drive it took me and my husband like eight hours and we were both just like jangle nerves. And I remember it was so funny. It was the first time uh, when we finally got to, to Louisville, we went to a, a spot and I was like, can I have the Maker's Mark cast drinks, please? Like, I just need I'm just going to go right to the cast drinks. We're not we're not going to ease our way in here. We're going to go straight to the good stuff because I've been in this car on icy roads for eight hours. And it was a, it was one of the best drinks, like sitting down and having that drink was one of the best. I was like, yes, this is what it's all about. <laughs> this
0: is what whiskey is supposed to be. Make you feel better at the end of a day. Absolutely. I, that's one of my favorite things about winter is, um, you know, I, we drink bourbon all year round in Kentucky, but I love toddy season. I'm a big toddy drinker. Mm-hmm. I,
1: I love that. You're looking forward to be cold so you can have hot toddies. Awesome.
0: Toddy. <laughs> Uh, My mother-in-law is very, very English. You know, my husband's from England. Um, I met him when I was working for Makers in London. Um, But, you know, she uh, swears by Totties, and she was a diehard scotch drinker. And we've pretty much now converted the whole family. So it's been great. Perfect.
1: (laughs) Do do you have a secret uh, recipe for Totties? Do you have one Um, that's a little different?
0: I actually like it with a little bit of apple cider.
1: Oh.
0: Um, instead of just the hot water, if I'm sick, you got to go hot water, lemon, you know, the traditional little bit of maybe, um, cloves in there, but, um, I like it with a little bit of apple cider if I'm just having it. For Delicious.
2: Fun. There you yeah. go. That's the recipe for the winter. Yeah. It's, it's
0: bourbon and apple. Just, it works for me. I
1: think we, uh, I think we need to have like a yep. uh, maker's mark toddy's recipe uh on the website there yeah. i'll send right. you
0: one i mean we yeah toddies and then we drink um this all year long but like right now you know it's it's football college football season mm-hmm. so tailgating's big but you know when it's you start getting into cooler you'll do um different stuff but like you know we drink bourbon bloody mary's every weekend pretty much throughout the fall
1: during Definitely. college
0: football. Amazing. guys, <laughs> okay, thanks for um, inviting me to chat with you. This was fun.
1: No, Jane, thank you so much for coming on. I thank really, you. really appreciate it. Um, it was absolutely awesome talking with you. Um, as, as, as as always, I'm just like, we could talk for hours about this stuff. Um, so very much appreciate you coming on. Looking forward to uh, coming back to Kentucky.
0: I can't wait to have you guys here. And I'm looking yeah. forward to uh, finding out you know, what word you're going to come up with to replace Tewar. <laughs> We're all waiting, holding our breath down. <laughs> no well, pressure, Mark.
1: <laughs> well, I, I feel like it's it's hilarious, but, uh, but but I think you already have the word. You, you said providence. And I'm like, huh, providence. What does providence even mean? I have to look it up in a dictionary.
0: Providence,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, providence, Sorry, yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. On, when I was writing about this topic, I'm like, it's not really about Soil. It's more about the history and law and da 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 and how things were made. And then provenance. There you go. The history of ownership of an object, especially when documented or authenticated, used of artwork, antiques, and books. Uh, records of blah 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 blah. Like yes, that that's a great word for it. That's an awesome word for it. That's that's just a great word for it.
0: Uh, which I have to disclaimer. I mean, when you and I had that conversation, I had no idea that you had written topics about it. I have a little more Southern politeness than that to, to have brought that up. I've stuck my foot in my mouth on that one a little bit. I think.
1: Oh, you did not. We had a lovely conversation about this. I absolutely absolutely adore that conversation because <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, first of all, I love like debating. There's no, nothing wrong with that. Second of all, you're 100% right and I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean. Yeah,
0: it was a, it was a fun, uh, it was an interesting evening because you, you know, we just spend the evening with all the master distillers around the state and then we go to to have some dinner and you know steve nally who is our former master to still art makers mark and spent a long time with us you know he wanted to weigh in on the topic a little bit and everyone had an opinion it was a fun night thanks again jane
2: thanks for being here It was so awesome it was so nice to hear your voice again and get all the info i feel like i learned so much every time we chat so it was really great to have you You
0: guys too i can't wait for you to come back to kentucky let us know when you're headed this way uh, we'll Definitely give you advance will.
1: warning so yeah absolutely <laughs>
0: advance warning
1: <laughs> like be prepared the singer's getting sore we